welcome to Easy Bake Takes. The podcast. I forgot. <laughs> you have a line there. I forgot. <laughs> Where we read you the reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. I'm Riley. And this week, following our superhero movies off the beaten path theme. Last week we did Megamind. Yes, a reminder that we did Megamind, Megamind last week. <laughs> and the perfect pairing for a movie such as Megamind is The Dark Knight. <laughs> You could watch those back to back and have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> Well-rounded day. Yes. <laughs> this is uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight from 2008. Great year for movies. Really good. Really good year. And it's classified as an action crime movie. And it is two hours and 32 minutes long. But it's really good. It is really good. It's worth every minute. Yeah. I saw it as a child, and I feel like that speaks volumes to it not feeling like that long. Right. Because I, I saw it in the theater. Like, I sat still. Right. This is also the year Twilight came out, so. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and that movie's like two hours for no reason. <laughs> it is, but it doesn't feel like it. No, it feels like 90. Twilight does not feel like two hours. Yeah. Hey, he ended up being Batman in the future, so it's like. Isn't that funny? Isn't that hilarious? Mm -hmm. That movie was long. The Batman was long. <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep. Yeah, no, it was really long. It was good. It's just really long. Yeah, I love Paul Dano. Didn't realize that was him because uh, I fell asleep. Uh, otherwise, we're not talking about that Batman. We're talking about the Christian Bale Batman. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So this is the plot. A gang of masked criminals robs a mafia-owned bank in Gotham City, betraying and killing each other until the sole survivor, the Joker, reveals himself as the mastermind and escapes with the money. The vigilante Batman, District Attorney Harvey Dent, and Police Lieutenant Jim Gordon ally to eliminate Gotham's organized crime. Batman's true identity, the billionaire Bruce Wayne, publicly supports Dent as Gotham's legitimate protector as Wayne believes Dent's success will allow Batman to retire, allowing him to romantically pursue his childhood friend Rachel Dawes, despite her relationship with Dent. Gotham's mafia bosses gather to discuss protecting their organizations from the Joker, the police, and Batman. The Joker interrupts the meeting and offers to kill the Batman for half of the fortune their accountant Lau concealed before fleeing to Hong Kong to avoid extradition. <laughs> with the help of Wayne Enterprise CEO Lucius Fox, Batman finds Lau in Hong Kong and returns him to the custody of Gotham Police. His testimony enables Dent to apprehend the crime families. Bosses accept the Joker's offer, and he kills high-profile targets involved in the trial, including the judge and police commissioner. Although Gordon saves the mayor, the Joker threatens that his attacks will continue until Batman reveals his identity. He targets Dent at a fundraising dinner and throws Rachel out a window. <laughs> But Batman rescues her. Wayne struggles to understand the Joker's motives, but his butler, Alfred Pennyworth, says some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> He's so good in those movies. I love him. Dent claims he is the Batman to lure out the Joker, who attacks the police convoy transporting him. Batman and Gordon apprehend the Joker, and Gordon is promoted to commissioner. At the police station, oh my god, that's only the second paragraph. <laughs> We're already at that point in the movie. Sorry. At the police station, Batman interrogates the Joker, who says he finds Batman entertaining and has no intention of killing him. Having deduced Batman's feelings for Rachel, the Joker reveals she and Dent are being held separately in buildings rigged to explode. Batman races to save Rachel, while Gordon and the other officers go after Dent, but they discover the Joker gave their positions in reverse. The bombs detonate, killing Rachel and severely burning Dent's face on one side. The Joker escapes custody, extracts the fortune's location from Lau, and burns all of it, killing Lau in the process. Wayne Enterprise accountant Coleman Reese deduces Batman's identity and attempts to expose it, but the Joker threatens to blow up a hospital unless Reese is killed, while the police evacuate hospitals and Gordon struggles to keep Reese 
Reese alive, the Joker meets with a delusioned Dent, persuading him to take the law into his own hands and avenge Rachel. Dent defers his decision-making to his half-scarred, two-headed coin, killing the corrupt officers and the mafia involved in Rachel's death. As panic grips the city, the Joker reveals two evacuation ferries. One carrying civilians and the other prisoners are rigged to explode at midnight unless one group sacrifices the other. To the Joker's disbelief, the passengers refuse to kill one another. Batman subdues the Joker but refuses to kill him. Before the police arrest the Joker, he says although Batman proved incorruptible, his plan to corrupt Dent has succeeded. Dent takes Gordon's family hostage, blaming his negligence for Rachel's death. He flips his coin to decide their fates, but Batman tackles him to save Gordon's son, and Dent falls to his death. Believing Dent is the hero the city needs and the truth of his corruption will harm Gotham, Batman takes the blame for his death and actions and persuades Gordon to conceal the truth. Pennyworth burns an undelivered message to Wayne from Rachel, who said she chose Dent, and Fox destroys the invasive surveillance network that helped Batman find the Joker. The city mourns Dent as a hero, and the police launch a manhunt for the Batman. I like what Gordon did there. Because, like, the same thing that Batman's doing for Harvey, mm-hmm. he's kind of doing for Batman because he knows he was in love with Rachel. Or Alfred, sorry. Yeah. I mean, he's like his dad. He's got. He's protecting him. Yeah, he's just protecting him. And it, it's like the same thing. It's Alfred's Batman's Batman. Aw. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're all Batman on the inside. <laughs> We're all each other's you know. Batman. Yeah. You're somebody's Batman. Don't you worry. Aw. Uh, not mine. Uh... <laughs> I don't think I'm yours, so I think it's okay. <laughs> well, who are you? Uh, the Joker. Yeah, I was about to say the Joker. <laughs> Can we be each other's Joker? I'll be your Joker. I'll be your Joker. Hey, girly. <laughs> Hi. Sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, so through doing this research, I didn't realize that I didn't know who wrote Christopher Nolan movies, most of them. I mean, he co-writes them, obviously. Mm. So he directed this movie, and he's also, if you don't know, you know, there's Dunkirk, Tenet, Oppenheimer, <laughs> Inception, The Prestige, mm-hmm. Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, etc. And he co-wrote this movie with his brother, Jonathan Nolan, who created Westworld, Oh, okay. And the show Person of Interest. He wrote Interstellar. Oh. He wrote The Prestige. He wrote Memento. And he wrote The Dark Knight Rises. Christopher Nolan co-wrote those, but he also co-wrote Inception, Dunkirk, Tenet. And he wrote Oppenheimer by himself. Oh, wow. Cool. Christopher Nolan has the story by credit. And David S. Goyer also has a story by credit. He wrote all of the Blade movies. Really? <laughs> That's cool. And he wrote Batman Begins, Dark Knight Rises, and some Superman-related ones, too. And the characters were created originally by Bob Kane, who co-created Batman, and most early related characters for DC Comics. I'm just now realizing you said Blade, not Blade Runner. <laughs> so No, no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He did Blade. Those are fun movies, Blade. though. I watched the first one. Those are fun. Yeah. It's still great. Still good. But like, I was like, Blade Runner? <laughs> No. Sorry. But the cast, the main cast, because there's a lot of people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, he has two roles in this movie. He plays Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah, did you know that? <laughs> you know Miley Cyrus played Pam Montana and Miley Cyrus? <laughs> Miley Stewart, thank you. Oh yeah, Miley Stewart. <laughs> Uh, Michael Caine plays Alfred, Heath Ledger is the Joker, Gary Oldman is Commissioner Gordon, Aaron Eckhart is Two-Face, 
he also plays Den. He gets two roles too. Oh yeah, he has two roles too. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal plays Rachel. She's so good. And Morgan Freeman plays Lucius. She replaced another actress who's in Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Never, I've never seen Batman Begins, and I've never seen The Dark Knight Rises. And I intend to keep it that way. I watched the first one. I don't like the first one. I don't like. I. It's not that I don't like. I just don't care for it. I'll never watch it again. Dark Knight's good, and then the third one's pretty good too. Like it's fun. I think I just like when it came out. I was in, we were in high school and I was in a, no, we were like almost in high school. It was like 2013 or something, but I was in like the AV class and all of the boys in there were so fucking annoying about Dark Knight Rises. So I just, I can only imagine. It was one of those. I'm like, y'all ruined it for me. Yeah, I get that. So the budget, this is the highest grossing that I've ever seen on a movie we've done so far. Oh, shit. So their budget was 185 million and they made 1.006 billion at the box office. Good lord, a billion. I mean, it makes sense. This movie was huge. And also the release of it followed the tragic death of Heath Ledger too. So it was like- It was amped up. Yeah. A lot. I will say for 185 million compared to Marvel, which will take $300 million to make a movie with the shittiest CGI script written by ChatGPT. Like like for real though, a $300 million budget for those shitty Marvel movies. And this is only 100, 185 million. Well, it's more of a crime thriller than anything. Like I know, but like just knowing how good this movie looks and how it's action packed and it has all this crazy cool stuff in it. Marvel could do the same thing with the same amount of budget. I mean, I get a lot of times they're flying around doing space but it's like i doubt it needs to be that expensive you know no yeah exactly for as shitty as they look yeah and they cost more and then you have this movie that has just as much action in it as any other marvel movie probably does i don't understand oh yeah well it's dc so they're different they are different but yeah they're grittier also, because DC stands for detective comics, so they inherently have more of like a crime thriller kind of film noir. I mean, yeah, because if you think about it, Batman's not really a superhero. He doesn't have no, he's powers. he's just a rich guy. Yeah, he's just from has money. Jersey. That's it. Yeah. From Jersey. <laughs> is that where it's from? That's where Gotham know. City is. I did not know that. He's a rich guy from Jersey. <laughs> How have I never heard that in my life? I told you this like last week. This monster is kicking in. Like my body's shaking right now. Do you think Batman would have been a Guido if it was realistic? If, if he did, if he was, uh, I don't know. He's, I, I he's don't listening know. to house music, driving to the crime. Okay, honestly, that's very realistic to me. I crashed my car into a bridge. I don't care. I love he's it. You see Snooky drive fast. <laughs> Get out of the way, juice head. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. <laughs> Um, but uh, back to the the money, this is actually the first comic book movie to reach the 1 billion mark worldwide and it's grossing. Wow. So there's a lot of trivia. Just <laughs> gonna say that right away because it's a fucking comic book movie. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. Heath Ledger. There's a lot in there. Also Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale's got his own lore too. <laughs> yeah. Got... Yeah. Did he method act for this one? Like, what did he do? Yeah, he's he's a bit of a nut. I'm sure he's got trivia. <laughs> he's in the mirror like, I am Batman. <laughs> Just walking around his house in a cape. <laughs> like the fucking Lego Batman. Yes. Yes. Okay, that one holds up. That's a good Batman movie. It's so good. Will Arnett is a great Batman. He's a great Batman. Really good Batman. I don't know. That movie just like gets it, you know? It just gets it. Lego always has. Yeah. 
So although Batman Begins ends with a scene in which Batman is presented with a Joker playing card, teasing the introduction of his arch enemy, the Joker, Christopher Nolan did not intend to make a sequel and was unsure Batman Begins would be successful enough to warrant one. Goyer developed an outline for two sequels, but Christopher remained unsure how to continue Batman Begins' narrative while keeping it consistent and relevant, though he was interested in utilizing the Joker and Begins' grounded, realistic style. So he wanted to continue it, that style with the Joker involved. I don't remember the first one that much. It left no impression. But the second and third one are really good. And that's the best you could hope for a trilogy, you know? Who's the villain in Batman Begins? Is it like Scarecrow or something? Uh, It's uh Oppenheimer. It's that dude. Yeah, Killian Murphy. Yeah, I think he's Scarecrow. He's Scarecrow, yeah. And then the third one is that the hot dude. Who is he? <laughs> are you talking about Tom Hardy? Yeah, Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Yeah, he's Bane. He's Bane. He's Bane. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. I love Tom Hardy. I love Tom Hardy. <laughs> but the next trivia fact I have is Goyer and Christopher did not intentionally include real world parallels to terrorism, the war on terror, and laws enacted to combat terrorists by the United States government because they believed making overtly political statements would detract from the story. They wanted it to resonate with and reflect contemporary audiences. Christopher described the Dark Knight as representative of his own, quote, fear of anarchy, and Joker represents somebody who, quote, wants to just tear down the world around him, end quote. That's the thing, though, when you're trying not to do something, but you're having such a heavy topic, it's going to remind people of... It's going to say something. It is. And here's the thing. If your writing's good enough, people will interpret it to something. People are just going to. Listen, the 2008 collective, like, it had been a long enough time after 9-11. We were kind of living in the aftermath of, like, Bush's America post 9-11. People were... Angry. They were angry there were things to be said wasn't there a sh uh, wasn't there a big thing like when the movie got released yeah, there was a shooting there was a shooting and how can you not fucking draw the lines right right to this movie to about that you know it was the aurora movie theater yeah in colorado, in colorado. yeah it's one of those things where if the writing's good enough, people will attach it to anything. Especially from the present, like reversing that idea onto it. Exactly. I mean, it's just like, and I don't mean to always bring this up, but like the thing and like people yeah, always associate. That too. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you're not trying to explicitly say anything about anything, people will draw lines to it if your writing's good enough. And it is. Mm -hmm. This is an excellent movie with excellent writing. You can't help but draw to it. Yeah. Next, I have, although he was a fan of the 1989 Batman starring Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Goyer did not consider Nicholson's portrayal scary and wanted the Dark Knight's Joker to be an unknowable, already formed character similar to the shark in Jaws without a cliche origin story. Mm -hmm. That is interesting because... It's scarier to not know where somebody's, why they're like that or why where they came from. Well, he tells like two or three different stories. Like, you know, I know how I got these scars. He tells two or three different stories. So you're like, he he's either lying for both of them or one of them's. A, I doubt any of them are the truth. He's yeah. probably just making these up. You remind me of my father. <laughs> I hate my, my father. father. <laughs> grabs him. I love how he grabs the back of his head. He goes, I hated my father. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting because I'm like, he's probably just making those up. Those aren't, honestly, only one can be true, but like, I don't think either of them are true kind of way. Yeah. Or there's like a bit of the truth in all of it or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But we won't know. It's the mystery of him 
Yeah. He's the Joker. He's not gonna he's not gonna tell you the truth. You can't trust anything he says, so Yeah. Continuing with that about the origin story thing. So Christopher and Goyer did not give their Joker an origin story or a narrative arc, believing it made the character scarier. Christopher described their film as the rise of the Joker. They felt the threat of cinematic villains such as Hannibal Lecter and Darth Vader had been undermined by subsequent films depicting their origins. I wonder how he feels about the Joker movie. Mmm, yeah. The people who, like, clung on to the Joker character from this one are probably the same type of people who clung on to the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. So it's it's kind of like, it's bound to happen anyway, whether you tell us what kind of person he is or not. Right. I don't know if I would rewatch the first one, but I am going to go see the second one, knowing it's a musical with Lady Gaga. I'm going to go see yeah. it. Slay. <laughs> Dude, that's my Joker. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm kind of excited. You add Harley Quinn in the mix? I'm watching it. Mm -hmm. Margot Robbie really set me up to love Harley Quinn so much. I think so too, yeah. And then Dent was written as the Dark Knight's central character, serving as the center of the battle between the Batman, who believes Dent is the hero the city needs, and the Joker, who wants to prove even the most righteous people could be corrupted. Christopher said the title refers to Dent as much as Batman. He considered Dent as having a duality similar to Batman's, providing interesting dramatic potential. Focusing on Dent meant Bruce Wayne slash Batman was written as a generally static character who did not undergo drastic character development. Which I think that's all true. He is kind of like a foil to Batman in a way. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I think it's from like watching it as a child. I just see him as like a pussy. I don't know why. I'm just like, that guy sucks. Yeah, I get that. And I think like that's the intention of his character. He's He starts out so pure in comparison. Yeah. He's a politician. Mm -hmm. Like... Like, this is his career. He's up and coming. He is going to be, like, the next leader of Gotham. Yeah. What this movie tells me is any politician can be corrupted no matter what their starting point is. Even with the best intentions, you know. The best intentions aren't as nice looking as corruption. Jurassic Park 3. Someone says <laughs> some of the worst things imaginable have been made with, have been made with the best intentions. <laughs> I bust that line out. <laughs> the great philosophers from Jurassic Park Three. Three. <laughs> who who says that? Um, the guy who plays Alan Grant, the in the, the the guy in the first one, he comes back for the third one. He says, <laughs> "Do you think God ever looks down on his creation?" <laughs> and is afraid of what he's made. It's definitely one of those lines. It's definitely one of those lines. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? The dinosaur was just here. Just hold on. <laughs> hold on it's like it's like alfred saying some people just want to watch the world burn in this movie yeah i feel like it's so much more appropriate in this movie to like drop a line it like is. that because like it is yeah. but then he just pieces out and is like your lamborghini's ready sir <laughs> please leave <laughs> would you like some tea to go with that knowledge i dropped <laughs> But there's some more influences for the Joker specifically. Obviously, the Joker is the most iconic part of this movie. So a lot of the trivia has to do with that character. Yeah. So Christopher found writing the Joker the easiest aspect of the script. The Nolans identified the traits common to his media incarnations and were influenced by the character's comic book appearances as well as the villain Dr. Mabuse from the films of Fritz Lang. Writer Alan Moore's graphic novel Batman the Killing Joke from 1988 did not influence the main narrative, but Christopher believed his interpretation of the Joker as someone partially driven to prove anyone can become like him when pushed far enough helped the Nolans give purpose to an, quote, inherently purposeless character. 
Like, he's just a distraction machine. Yeah. Anybody can get where I'm at. I'm just cooler than everybody I got there first. <laughs> exactly. That's literally what he's saying. He's a I... chaos hipster. Yes, like... no, I was literally about to say that. I was literally about to say, like, he's just being a hipster. <laughs> I was listening to the Father John Misty when he still went by John Tillman, so. He would say that, though. Like, he definitely looks like a Father John Misty fan. Oh, you don't know John Tillman? He listens to Tame Impala, and he's going to educate you about Tame Impala every time they get brought up. It's just one guy. You no, know, it's just one guy. <laughs> Joker would say that. <laughs> this is so fucking funny. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I like this interpretation of the Joker. It's the right amount of darkness and like unhinged goofiness that just makes it perfect. And I know earlier it's like, well, I didn't want to give a backstory to him because he's supposed to be this really scary scary person without origin story it's scary to not know anything about something that's harmful you know yeah well it's like patrick bateman like mm -hmm. he wasn't humanized he wasn't given some origin story no nothing he is just this person and i think it drives home like the joker motive even more it's like we don't need to know his backstory to know that anybody can become like him. Exactly. But next, I have that Ledger's casting in August of 2006 was criticized by some industry professionals and members of the public who considered him inappropriate for the role. Executive producer Charles Roven said Ledger was the only person seriously considered and that Batman Begins' positive reception would help alleviate any concerns. People felt he was too young, too handsome, and too inexperienced to play the Joker. Oh... I'm not surprised that he was the only person seriously considered for this role. I mean, I'm sure he blew them out of the water immediately. Yeah. Next, I have, this is also about Ledger's casting. Uh, Christopher was confident in the casting because discussions between himself and Ledger had demonstrated they shared similar ideas regarding the Joker's portrayal. Ledger said he had some trepidation in succeeding Nicholson in the role, but that the challenge excited him. He described his interpretation as a, quote, psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy, end quote, and avoided humanizing him. He was influenced by Alex from the crime film A Clockwork Orange and British musicians Johnny Rod and Sid Vicious. Oh, wow. Okay. That makes sense. He's very punk. He is very punk. And I see the Clockwork Orange comparison. Unhinged. Unhinged evil. Yeah, just pure evil. Mm -hmm. Alex from A Clockwork Orange is just pure evil. Frighteningly evil. Yeah. Ruined singing in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> and in film school, they showed us singing in the rain. And then right after, they showed us Clockwork Orange. That's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. It was like you're going to introduce us to this world and then ruin it. I'm really, really glad they didn't show us that. I don't ever want to see that movie. I really don't. It has its merit. I get, and I get it. And Kubrick is talented. And I get that. And yes, Kubrick makes some of the best movies ever. I understand. And like, is Clockwork Orange a point a point of reference for any, you know, like is something to always bring up in a movie? Yes. But do I want to watch it? No. <laughs> I really don't. I would never watch it again. I'm never going to be in the mood to watch Clockwork Orange. I'm just not. Just read an essay about like the interpretation of it. Like that's all you really need to do. It has cool stuff to say. Oh yeah. And I've heard a million times like people, yeah, talk read about book. it. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, you have Court of Thorns and Roses to read. I know. I dude, I'm gonna be so busy this year. <laughs> you see how big that book is. 
this is this is the second to last trivia fact that i have so in sir michael kane's opinion heath ledger beat the odds and topped jack nicholson's joker from 1989 saying quote jack was like a clown figure benign but wicked maybe a killer old uncle he could be funny and make you laugh heath's gone in a completely different direction to jack he's like a really scary psychopath he's a lovely guy and his joker is going to be a hell of a revelation in this picture end quote kane bases this belief on a scene where the joker pays a visit to bruce wayne's penthouse he never met ledger before so when ledger arrived and performed he gave kane such a fright he forgot his lines yeah the elevator scene mm -hmm. like he literally is like he was supposed to have a line and he's not saying anything because he's just so shocked you know, you have, you, have, you know, sir michael kane do you know how good you have to be to make other people in the room forget they're in a movie <laughs> that nothing of this is real like people, this guy's gonna kill me yeah like you like do you know how good you have to be to forget you are you are filming a scene in a movie and you get that fucking scared it's the kind of character where like you don't know what he's gonna do next you have no idea and you're just on edge and you're tense oh mm-hmm and then the last trivia fact that I have is alongside lead editor Lee Smith, Christopher took an aggressive editorial approach to editing The Dark Knight to achieve its 152 minute running time. Chris said no scenes were deleted because he believed every scene was essential and that unnecessary material had been cut before filming. The Nolans had difficulties refining the script to reduce the running time, but after removing so much material, they believed it had become incomprehensible. They had added more scenes back into it. It worked in this movie, but I think in some of his movies that is a detriment because I feel like he refuses to cut a lot of stuff out. Yes, definitely. I definitely agree with that. That's why he's like not one of my favorite. His movies are very hit or miss. Yeah, his good ones are great. Yeah. It works here. Like the, it seemed like everything was necessary. Yeah, I couldn't really tell you anything I would take out of this movie. Yeah. So speaking of that, what opinions did you have watching The Dark Knight this time through? It is undeniable. It is a good movie. You don't have to like it to agree like you know why it's a well done movie. Just is. Heath Ledger's amazing. I mean him alone. You could hate everything else about this movie. He carries this movie. Really does. I love it. This is a good movie. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I wrote down some notes and maybe we can just bounce off of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well when's the, when's the first time that you watched this movie? Was it a, when it came out? Do you think you were a kid when you saw it? No, it took years for me. Well, actually, I was pretty young. I don't think it was when it came out. Probably a, a handful of years later. Before the rises or something? Yeah, probably before the third one. We were watching in a living room somewhere. Yeah. This is also one of those movies where I very ha I have very rarely watched it from beginning to end in one sitting. This is one of those movies where it's on and you at whatever point in the movie you're, you started it, you just watch it till yeah. the end. Oh, anytime it was on TV. You put it on. You would just leave it on that channel. Everybody's okay with it. It's one of those movies where you're like, well, I want to see where it's at. <laughs> what part of the yeah. movies is that? You could hop in anywhere and enjoy yourself with this movie. You really can. It's one of those movies. But I didn't give a shit about Batman. I did not grow up watching Batman whatsoever. I don't no. care about Batman. This is the first Batman movie I had seen. Exactly. Same for me. And it's like a genre we're not that into, both of us, like, respectively, and a superhero that we had never really been acquainted with prior. No knowledge of, really. The cartoon version of him was like... Exactly. I was about to say, other than Robin and, you know... Yeah, Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. and... Wasn't there a Scooby-Doo movie <laughs> with Batman in it? Batman's in one of them. Yeah. I know. I remember that. Maybe that. Kiss is also in one of the Scooby-Doo movies, so... <laughs> That's funny. I love a goofy Batman. That's why I love Lego Batman, too. It's just... 
He's the perfect character that's so over-the-top serious that making him goofy just makes it better. Yeah. But I will say with this movie specifically, this is like one of my favorite movie openings. I love the opening scene to this movie. It's like classic crime movie opening. Kind of reminds me of Baby Driver in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a bank robbery, but you know. <laughs> I do love a bank robbery. I don't know. And there's something about it. My favorite thing, though, and people are like, oh, this is a blooper or like it's something stupid. I'm like, whatever, it's funny. The Joker runs a school bus into the bank and when he's coming out, there's a perfect enough space for him to leave the building, the yes, bank building. And join. And join in with the buses. rest. And it's like the bus behind it's him. smoking. Yeah. There's a giant hole in the bank and there's no way the bus behind him is it going, what the fuck? That bus just came out of the bank. <laughs> black cloud of smoke coming out of it yes exactly there's dust coming off of the bus i'm like there's no way the bus driver on that bus is like what the fuck <laughs> it's gotham this it's, happens every week it, okay honestly though imagine living in that city you would rationalize so many <laughs> exactly you would rationalize so much you would be mm -hmm. like mm, a batman will take care of it it's fine <laughs> He's got us. He, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so I love the opening. I think it's a great opening. The first time Joker comes into that mob boss scene, that's such a good scene. I make this pencil disappear, shoves a guy's face into it. <laughs> the suit's not cheap. You should know you guys paid for it. <laughs> so snarky, so snooty. I love him. The sass on that one. <laughs> Someone goes like, what, you're going to kill us all? He goes, yeah. <laughs> he just goes like, yeah. <laughs> I don't care if I live or die. Do you think I care if you live or die? I forgot what the person said to him, but the way he goes like, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. He's so dry. Uh, but the most of my notes are like things that the Joker did that I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just his lines his bits when he breaks into the party and grabs champagne out of someone's hand all of it splashes out and then he goes to drink it anyway and just sets it down it's fucking empty it's empty he like hardly gets a sip he goes like this and just splashes it all <laughs> Also, Batman, when he's eating with Harvey and Rachel, and he's like, oh, we can just have them put the tables together. And he's like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. He's like, I actually, I own the restaurant, so I think they can. <laughs> it's so BoJack, like that episode where they're it, just buying shit. Yes. And he buys the restaurant. Yes, it is. And the only other thing I had on here is like, as a kid, I thought that Harvey Dent was a pussy. <laughs> I don't know if I would have said those words, but it, a lot it, the vibe, the feeling, yeah. Mm -hmm. Batman's face whenever Harvey's like, "I'm Batman," he's like, uh, uh, "No, he's not. No, we guys, no, he's not. He's not Batman." There's no way I could be Batman and just sit there. Somebody else take credit for it. Yeah. Uh uh. Uh uh. I would be such a. T I could not have a secret identity because the minute somebody claims it, I'm like, uh, excuse me. I'm gonna purposely like Harvey Dent is gonna be in the most public place ever, you know, and people are. You're gonna show up. And I'm gonna show up. <laughs> huh. I thought you were Batman. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. How are we in the same? Did you lie to all these people, Harvey? <laughs> I'm mean, making look so bad. You're supposed to be a good guy. You lie. I just, I also didn't like the love triangle. I think like as a kid, like when someone's the proposed main character, you're like, I want you to end up with the love interest. I love a love triangle. I love a messy love triangle. As a kid, I was loyal to the main character. I don't like either of them. I don't like that. No, no, they suck. <laughs> so I was they like, both suck. And I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. So I was like, you do what you do what you need to do. Don't end up with either of them. She said, I'm not picking, I'm dying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> 
Bruce Wayne's not, I don't like him either. I don't like him either. It feels like that thing, like we talked about with Cloverfield, where it's like the guy best friend being like, I'm in yes. love with you. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want you. Get over it. Being rich doesn't mean that she has to love you. Exactly. Even Alfred knows. That's why he burned the letter. He's like, oh, this dude, he's gonna go Joker mode if he <laughs> if he reads this. No kidding. But I, I don't know. I just, I don't like the love triangle. It's kind of similar to Megamind, where it's like, I don't care about the romance part of it. Just put the Joker back on the screen. Just give the people what they want. I love drama. If you could put drama in there, I want I want some drama. Yeah, I just, I, I enjoy the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's needed for like the motives between the other characters and stuff. I just... The Joker's so entertaining. I just don't care. And I get that. <laughs> well, he can have his own movie. Like, he could have his, like, like specifically Heath Ledger having his own movie with, with the Joker. I feel like he wouldn't have wanted to do it. Probably not. Because of how he approached this one, he didn't want to give it a backstory. He didn't want to humanize him. True. And I get that. But yeah, so that's all I really had with it. I, I felt like it was, like, I know that it was kind of written as, like, a, anybody can be a bad guy. But I kind of read it as, like, Bruce Wayne was never really a good guy. Batman was never really a good hero. The police were never fully on his side. Like, I mean, he's a criminal. Commissioner Gordon's, like, the only one who's has his back well even at the end when they're using the cell phones to spy on the whole city just to find the joker yeah why did you have this dude why do you like, have that lucius was like what the fuck lucius is literally like this is so wrong on so many levels yeah like you don't need to have this power yeah it's too much power for one person to have and yeah they destroy it at the end but it is also like why did you have it you know it's just wrong it's just wrong mm-hmm Not only is he just kind of doing whatever he wants, he also has a billion dollar company that's like fucking up the infrastructure and running the town and (laughs) corrupting everything. Right. He's able to support Harvey Dent because he's from this like billionaire family and like he has the power to make sure that Harvey gets the support he needs. Like, And that's really fucked up too because it should be diplomatic. It should be democracy. Mm -hmm. People voting him in. No, if Bruce Wayne wants him to be mayor, Bruce Wayne's going to get him to be mayor. That's fucked up, too. It's such a, like, dick measuring contest thing. It is. He said, oh, you were mayor. I made you mayor. Exactly. Emotional. Jealous. But is there anything else you wanted to say before I move on to the critics? No. Okay. So, very highly rated. Has a 94% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% from audience, a 9 out of 10 from IMDb. And I think it had like a 4 point something on Letterboxd. It was a little difficult to find negative reviews, but not impossible. This is the first review. It's from Jolene Martinez from Entertainment Spectrum from July of 2008, who gave the movie a 4 out of 4, saying, quote, The Dark Knight is a true villain versus hero film. The special effects and stunt work are some of the best produced this year and possibly from the previous year. Definitely the finest work brought to the big screen all around with impressive performances offered by the full cast. Christian Bale really settled into the Batman character this time around and has found his niche portraying the character. Aaron Eckhart offered a pendulum performance going from the dutiful district attorney to the disorderly Two-Face. Ultimately, as we all know, the film's prized performance goes to Heath Ledger, outshining the previous Joker portrayed by award-winning Jack Nicholson in 1989, a feat made to look so effortless. Ledger definitely steals the spotlight and possibly earns an Oscar nomination with his intense and marvelous performance of this complex and disconnected character. Sure to break box office records this weekend, noting sellouts of the midnight showings having added on two and four in the morning showtimes in some local theaters, the film is sure to surpass your wildest expectations. End quote. Did he ever make it to the Oscars? Heath Ledger? Mm-hmm. I don't. I think he might have been nominated, but I don't know if he ever won. I think he was nominated. I can't remember if he 
made it there or not. And this is one of those performances where like I could see him winning if that if the tragedy didn't also happen. Yeah. This next review, unless you had anything else to add to that, it was pretty straightforward. It was pretty straightforward. I agree with it. Yeah. This next review is from Ryan Gilby from New Statesman from July of 2008, saying, quote, The hero of the Dark Knight is a dour, psychologically flawed champion of the disenfranchised given to sudden rages, whose war on crime is looking a touch ineffectual. He was once heralded as a force for good, but the public now regards him with hostility, and he spends much of his time brooding over news reports of his own demise as his white-haired assistant looks worriedly on, end quote. This is a negative one. <laughs> he is pouty. He is very, well, I mean, essentially that's his character. He's very moody. He's goth. Can't leave him alone. <laughs> he is very moody. I can see that being annoying. The tone of the movie is moody. Yeah. And it's not really about him, but I guess people were expecting more from that character. I could see how that would be a... I could see that being a flaw because like, like you said, he kind of is just there in the movie. He really doesn't go through a growth. He doesn't go through an arc. Mm -mm. He's just there. Yeah, he is. I mean, the war on crime is looking a touch ineffectual. Yeah, like his efforts are starting to prove like you're not really doing much. That's the thing. Nothing. He yeah. doesn't really do anything in the movie. And that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like he doesn't really fix anything. Yeah. And I know Batman has like a rule like I'm not going to kill anyone. But like, oh my God, the way, the way he hits people, they're not coming out of that coma. <laughs> that person's not getting out of that coma. <laughs> He's wearing a glove that I'm sure probably has brass knuckles underneath it. Like <laughs> this is a 45 year coma if I've ever seen one. The way he hits people. <laughs> that man doesn't know who he is anymore. Like it's after he wakes up, yeah, he doesn't have an identity. He's, he's <laughs> and you were there, and you were there. <laughs> <laughs> But next they say, quote, Even without Ledger's tragic death this year, his twitchy turn would have dominated the Dark Knight. We are used to the devil having all the best tunes, but Ledger's performance amounts to an area of enigmatic menace. There's the chalky face with its charcoal eyes, obscenely smudged kisser, and an untamed tongue that he can scarcely keep in his mouth. Further creepiness comes from his hunched posture and scuttling, dance-like movements. <laughs> When he finally manages to fell Batman, he is beside himself with glee. He hops up and down, spitting and jabbering, too overjoyed to inflict much damage. End quote. Just a goofy guy. He doesn't like how twitchy he is. I, I think I think he's saying that. Or is he saying he, he likes it? He did like he did like it. it oh, okay. It dominates the. Oh, he yeah. doesn't like the movie, but he loves the Joker performance. I feel like that's that has to be everyone's opinion. Like I didn't like this movie, but the Joker was good. Every single negative one, like everybody felt obligated to say he was amazing, but I didn't like the rest of it or whatever. Hey, fair. I'm not even. I'm not even judging someone if that's the case. You can't say that's not a good performance. You cannot say it's not good. You're an asshole if you do. <laughs> yeah. The internet will fight you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dancing in the Joker movie makes a little more sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when he does the not bending the knees hop off the curb after blowing up a hospital, <laughs> love it. Love, love it. that guy. I love him. Not the actions prior, but the little hop. A little, a little hop off the curb. Like a little kid. A little nurse dress. The way he just walks out. His just... snatched waist in that belted nurse's dress. <laughs> <laughs> He's slaying. I just, oh, uh, that one part in the movie where he's going up to Harvey Dent's hospital bed and he takes off the mask and that's when Harvey reacts as if you couldn't see the chalk white makeup, <laughs> absolutely overdone eyeshadow. Like you didn't know who that was before he took off the little hospital mask. You didn't want to be rude if it was just a nurse. Just like, is that, oh, maybe just how she put on her makeup that day. I don't know for sure. I'll know for sure when she takes off the mask. 
It's like Superman with the sunglasses, with his glasses. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Superman, what are you doing here? Okay, honestly though, that you can defend it that way. It's it's just uh, comic book logic. Yeah, exactly. I forgot which actor, Superman actor, it was. It's probably Henry Cavill. They were filming the movie. He would go to lunch. He'd be dressed as Superman, but they'd be like, "Oh, it's him." And then on the days of shoot where he's dressed like Clark Kent, no one recognized him. So it's more accurate than we give yeah. it credit for, I would say. Because I think, like, the more outlandish a disguise is, the more noticeable it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else to say about that? Or Zoe Deschanel without her bangs. Bangs? No bangs? Yeah. I can't tell who that woman is. She could walk right in front of me and go, hello. I'd be like, hello, who are you? I do not know that woman without her bangs. Who's standing next to that property, brother? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, who? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, who's this? This isn't Zoe. Where's Zoe? But next, they say, quote, The director Christopher Nolan and his brother and co-writer Jonathan have broken the laws of backstory in this film by making the Joker's history a blank. Each time he has someone at knife point, he offers a contrasting account of how he came to have his mouth slashed into a gruesome grin. No one knows how the Joker became so twisted, end quote. True. And I was talking about that earlier. Like, he just keeps making up these stories and you know they're not true. It's like our, um, our art teacher who had a missing finger. Yes, he would just make up different stories. <laughs> okay, literally though, he, he would do that shit. Hey, you gotta create intrigue and mystery around yourself. Honestly, that's how you keep it, that's how you keep life interesting, you know? How you keep the people coming back, you know? Also, it's fun to tell a little lie that does not gonna hurt anyone. It's really not gonna do anything. Like it's- And you only know the truth. Also, it's no one's business. So if he wants to make up a lie, he can, you know? I mean, he does ask them if they wanna know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> He's asked, he is like taunting them like you want to know. <laughs> I know you're thinking about it. Working on my improv. <laughs> But next they say, quote, But the film makes a common undergraduate mistake of equating intelligence with gloominess. As the Joker asks several times, why so serious? The superhero film took a somber turn after Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, striking its gravest note when X-Men opened with a scene set in a concentration camp. Yet neither of those pictures could be described as a dirge. Regrettably, the same cannot be said of The Dark Knight, end quote. And I think that's true. Those are two pretty, like, dark takes on superhero movies. Mm -hmm. But they don't get talked about as so gloomy. Yeah. But I think he's he's also saying that they equate taking an intelligent take on something for being gloomy. I don't know if I necessarily get what they're saying with that, though. I don't know what they're trying to say either. Yeah. But we'll move on to the next quote. Maybe something will get cleared up. This <laughs> is the last quote from them. Um, they say, quote, There are ample opportunities in the plot for sly humor, all of which are overlooked by the Nolan brothers. The Joker's habit of wiping out his accomplices after each heist, for example, cries out for a running gag about the difficulty of employing new assistants. And there's black comedy to be run from his weird omnipresence, which enables him to overpower entire SWAT units, set up multiple hostage situations, and plant bombs with ease. I admire the Dark Knight for its good intentions, but it has too much psychology and not enough pop. It's possible to be too serious, you know, end quote. Okay, so they're saying it's too much of a downer. This sounds like someone's like, well, I like the Jack Nicholson Joker more. Where's the goofies? Yeah, exactly. And like, also this movie, it, he is funny. <laughs> It's like the horror of the absurd thing. You're gonna laugh because it's so absurd. Yeah. Like it's scary if you were in that situation, but it's like so absurd it's laughable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Also, the, the movie just didn't want to do that take. It is it is supposed to be gloomy and 
yeah. and gritty and dark. It's not supposed to be, ha ha ha, you know? There's really no bits in this movie. Yeah, and it is kind of like a psychoanalyzation of the tropes of this, like, specific universe. Like, the movie was not here to give you laughs. Not a lot, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it, you probably don't have a good sense of humor if you weren't giggling a little. Like, yeah, I was, I was laughing. Look at him. He made a pencil disappear. He did, it was really good. It was pretty funny. Pretty funny. <laughs> Just the party scene alone, like everything the Joker is doing is comedic. Yeah, it's exaggerated. It's unhinged. It's unhinged, but it is it is funny in its own way. It's a dark humor. Yeah. And again, this was not a popular opinion amongst the critics. No. This is one of the few people who didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But the next one is also a negative one. It is by Michael Joshua Rowan from Stop Smiling from July of 2008. He says, quote, Nolan and brother Jonathan, the film's co-writers, spend unprecedented screen time explicating the financial logistics of organized crime and the legal and political maneuverings of Gotham City's district attorney's office and police force with the result that The Dark Knight often plays like an episode of Homicide Life on the Streets that happens to feature Batman. At moments, The Dark Knight's soundtrack goes completely atonal to match its palpable sense of menace with bass drones straight out of blue velvet and high-pitched violin shrieks that sound like Tony Conrad's music. And despite the mostly incoherent spectacle of its chases and fights, Gotham itself is not exaggerated in scale in order to evoke Batman's comic book origins. In The Dark Knight, Gotham assumes a stature as a metropolis that could very well exist in the real world and maybe already does end quote yeah dummy it's chicago it's definitely chicago it's jersey is it jersey they filmed in chicago i believe i like look at it it's just chicago dude like what do you mean oh yeah it looks it kind of looks like beans right there like exactly <laughs> look at it i knew it as a kid i was like that's chicago <laughs> mm -hmm. like it could exist in the real world yes dude it's chicago <laughs> what the fuck are you talking yeah. about you think they made that <laughs> I mean, I, there's a way of, like, setting up the atmosphere without, like, building a whole new city set mm -hmm. or anything. I get what they're saying, because I think there's an expectation with the comic books, like, the city is its own character kind of thing, mm -hmm. where it's, like, greatly exaggerated to fit the, like, exaggerated superhero world. So I understand having that expectation, but it's also just, like, that's not the approach that they had to this. They weren't trying to make it like a comic book. It wouldn't be as, like, comic books can be serious, yes, but there's, like, a pop art exaggeration that comes with comic books books that you're not going to see in this version of batman i didn't think about it that hard and when i saw the city i don't know i think chicago looks very gotham so i was i was very satisfied with the city itself and the the environment you know yeah i don't know maybe i just didn't think that hard about it we just didn't have comic book expectations for it true true and i think the themes of like the comic books has more of this like overbearing like city corruption and like this hive mind of the citizens kind of thing about it this person like intellectualizes it in that way which like i don't think either of us really have a point of reference for but i thought it was interesting to add this perspective of like somebody who's really into the comic book aspect of it but they go into it a little more so we'll kind of we're kind of learning doesn't mean we agree but kind of figuring out what they mean by it also pretty bold move to critique Hans zimmer yeah well it was him and um another really big composer james newton howard Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to critique the two biggest composers for music, music or movie soundtracks? It also isn't that overbearing, which it is like isn't. something they mention again later, like that the music was like too overbearing for them. I never get that. I never get when people are like, yeah, the music didn't match. I'm like, I could see that happening in a theater. 
but not in home viewing. Sure. But let's see what they say next. A very specific uh, event in our country's history gets brought up. Shocker. <laughs> Who would have thought that a movie from 2008 would bring up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But next they say, quote, It's appropriate in this regard that the focus of Nolan's terrorism allegory and begins was the rot of civilization's major centers of activity. Likewise, the Dark Knight specifically calls its villain terrorists, references the Roman Empire's suspension of democracy during times of trouble, and contains a sonar-aided system that can spy on all of Gotham. Since Roman Empire comparisons have become routine since 9-11 in describing America's current role on the global stage, Nolan's link is hardly daring or inspired, but what would otherwise remain made bullet points slapped onto Batman's vigilantism for cheap one-dimensional political relevance expand with his blockbuster's delineation of urban space, end quote. That was a lot. Yeah. Uh, To be honest, I don't even know what he's trying to say. (laughs) As we know from reading the trivia, there was no intention to tie it to any specific thing. And like, even then people were like, clearly this is a terrorism allegory. Oh, yeah. But yeah, of course, it wouldn't feel daring or inspired at that time, because I think a lot of action movies were very like fighting terrorists, saving America, America's the best, fuck you. I understand that that wouldn't seem like an interesting angle to take, but it's not like he was really trying to take that angle. At least he says. Mm -hmm. But next they say and expand on the like 9-11 type things. Quote, Spielberg and Shyamalan's post 9-11 films focus on the nuclear family and small communities coming together or not during catastrophic crisis in the suburbs and the sticks. Destruction and dread start in the cities, but the action quickly moves away from those locations. In contrast, Nolan's world has a few ostracized power-hungry loners fight over the fate of thousands with the city as their battleground. The residents of Gotham find themselves lost and depersonalized amidst corporate architecture and prosaic, unadorned city streets. So I still can't tell if they like it or not. Um, (laughs) I don't know either. Because, yeah, I mean, it is a different approach to that idea. It's like in times of hardship, corruption rises Mm -hmm. and people try to seize power as quickly as they can. And like the citizens of these places do become kind of these like faceless beings that just like are a collective amidst just this corporatization of politics. So, like, the, he's just say, stating facts, I think. He's not really saying any opinion, but, like, okay. Sure. Next, they say, quote, Gone from the dark night are the ludicrous multi-level elevated trains twisting about the drably futuristic Gotham of Batman Begins. The correction greatly enhances the metaphor spanning both films, the corruption of the city as manifested in mass hysteria, which brings us to the Joker. If the dark night's Gotham reflects the modern city's unstylized vulnerable mega habitation, towering yet utilitarian, awing yet brittle, then its best known villain accomplishes something similar. The late Heath Ledger's stooped, jittery performance as the psychotic clown has so far been predictably overpraised but not quite placed in perspective. This isn't Burton's Phantom of the Opera Joker who melts at the sight of Vicky Vale. Instead, he's a lunatic whose sole mission as an agent of chaos is to make the rest of Gotham as twisted as he is by way of killing all guardians of the city's law and presiding over social experiments meant to prove that the people's madness can be easily exploited and unleashed, end quote. You have to put it in perspective of his character, but it's like, I think a lot of people respected the performance and respect the portrayal that Heath Ledger did because of what the character is, in part. You can't do a performance like that as Batman, you know? No, you can't. It's more fun to be the villain. It just is. Yeah. 
it never really seems like anybody's really giving so far from what I read. It doesn't feel like anyone's giving any real critique. Yeah, it just kind of feels like they're just saying what everyone already knows or... But next he says, quote, And so as the Joker goes, so goes the Dark Knight. Unlike the anomalous Batman Begins, the only Batman film devoted to Bruce Wayne's origins as an Avenger, the Dark Knight takes up the other film's villain worship and rides its main attractions Blitzkrieg of Carnage. Ledger lives up to the hype. His demented spazzing, there's a great bit where he impatiently hits the button of a detonator like a toddler playing with a toy, <laughs> cracked voice, and disgusting lip smacking are anti-psychologically embodied. This Joker keeps changing the explanations for the scars that widen his lips to a freakish smile. A complete turnaround from the torturous pop philosophizing on Wayne's pain in Begins, end quote. So he likes this movie more than Batman Begins, at least. Same. We can be all on that page. Next, they say, quote, but Ledger's triumph overrides every other element of the film. Anarchy and death, blockbuster entertainment can be successfully tailored to these forces, but such attempts should be morally complicated or at least ironically subversive to earn the right to do so. For all of Batman's romantic despair over the burden of responsibility, the Dark Knight can't pull off either of the above. Once firmly established, the bludgeoning pace of one Joker rampage after another pounds the film's carefully detailed collaboration into mush. By the end of the film, it's not clear what distinguishes Batman's dilemma from any of the other dark treatments he's received over the years, nor where the energy or confidence has gone in the abbreviated scenes that were supposed to make it uniquely Nolan's, end quote. So what do you think they're saying? By the end of the film, it's not clear what distinguishes Batman's dilemma from any of the other dark treatments you've seen over the years. Yeah, I don't think this movie was supposed to make Batman any different. Yeah, it's not really about him. It's not about him. We said that, you know, which I think is fine, mm -hmm. you know, because it's not really about him. It's showing the world that he's in. Mm -hmm. This person wanted a mega mind. Go watch Mega Mind, dude. It's so good. <laughs> You'll love it. Yeah. Because they're they're saying that it, it either needs to be like ironically subversive of what the tropes are, mm -hmm. or it needs to leave you feeling morally complicated. But I I will say it does feel very like cut and dry. Like anyone can be bad. Like that's yeah. And it's about the villain. It is about the villain. It's about the world he's in and how what he's doing isn't really helping anything. Yeah. And I, I think what they're saying is like, yes, that's happening, but they felt that if it was going to be taken to an area of anarchy and death, it needed something a little more morally complicated or it needed to ironically subvert the tropes to like be more enjoyable. And I could see that I, if you're looking for it to do those things. Mm -hmm. But also I agree that as much as I love this movie as a whole, the Joker makes a lot of other things kind of irrelevant he steals the show yeah so i think this is just one of the few people that's like i'm looking past the joker and this is what i see which i get you can do but why work that hard <laughs> yeah Lastly, they say, quote, The problem isn't anything outrageously off the wall this time, but a failure to follow through on the main premise. The idea of a re realistically brutal Batman film is an intriguing one, and Nolan pulls off that conceit with several set pieces being Ledger's performance and his crucial imagining of Gotham as any city. Yet there's no such care taken in fleshing out Wayne's identity, nor does Nolan find a narrative correlative to Dent's chillingly melted bare half-skull, which accompanies his fall from White Knight to enraged destroyer after the death of Rachel Dawes, his and Wayne's love interest. With a thrillingly tangible sense of place as the site of its uncontrollable force of its madman schemes, but also with a disappointingly pinched sense of the enveloping drama, The Dark Knight ends up fulfilling its mantra, Batman is the comic book world we deserve, but not the one we need, end quote. If you're a 
a comic book fan. I understand having more critiques, but I'm just not, I'm not looking that hard at this movie. Yeah. Going with this last paragraph, it seems like they didn't mind how the city was set up. It seems like they liked Gotham as looking like it could be any city, mm -hmm. which would aid with the anyone can be bad thing, any city can become corrupt, anarchy can happen anywhere. Chicago. Kind of thing. Yep, Chicago. <laughs> it wasn't even like that low on the rating. It was like a like a six or something. It was like it wasn't like fully negative. It was like three and a half out of four or some shit. They liked it. They just had critiques on it. Yeah. But it was hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of points where I'm like, I don't even know what they're saying. I was a little silently doing that one because I was like, I don't know what their point is. Yeah. And that's why I felt like I had to talk through it because I didn't really either. Yeah. Like, I thought I did when I was taking notes <laughs> and getting quotes from it. But let me see. Okay, this is the last one. This website is called comicbookmovie.com. This was written by Josh Welding in July of 2012. So this is the more recent one. And they say, quote, Batman Begins may not have been perfect, but Christopher Nolan still had an awful lot to live up to in order to surpass the 2005 reboot. The Dark Knight not only does that, but to this day remains one of the greatest comic book movies movies ever made. There was a lot of buzz surrounding the sequel in 2008 after the sudden death of star Heath Ledger a few months before its release, and it would be easy to look back and accuse critics of overpraising his performance as the Joker because of that. However, there's simply no doubting the fact that the actor deserved every bit of acclaim he received. The Joker is a well-written and terrifying villain, but Ledger's performance brings him to life in a way it's hard to imagine any other actor being capable of. Creepy, manic, and utterly brilliant, Ledger was rewarded with a posthumous Oscar and delivered one of the great greatest performances not only in the genre but in film period end quote oh yeah and i appreciate that they mentioned that too that like people were accused of overpraising him but it's like have you seen the movie it's good it is the performance of a lifetime it really is but next they say quote of course it would be unfair to ignore the rest of the cast while looking back at the dark knight christian bale is on fine form as he continues to flush out bruce wayne showing a violent batman who is clearly pushed to the brink as he faces off against the joker aaron eckhart is another new addition to the cast and manages not to be too overshadowed by ledger by delivering a fantastic performance throughout maggie gyllenhaal replaces Katie Holmes as the main love interest, and while she definitely delivers a much better performance, it still never really stands out. Gary Oldman is spectacular, while Michael Caine is as impressive as ever, end quote. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that her character is really meant to be a standout role. Especially what happens to her in this movie. Yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. And it, it, her performance is better than the girl in the first one. But next I say, quote, The story is as great as the performances, and despite some structural issues, it occasionally feels as if the Dark Knight jumps around a bit too much. It all pays off in the end. Christopher and Jonathan Nolan's screenplay is far better than that of Batman Begins, and the character work is particularly excellent. As mentioned above, the Joker is extremely well-written, stealing every scene he's featured in. A big part of this is, of course, down to Ledger's performance, but the dialogue in the interrogation scene or final confrontation between Batman and the villain is incredible. The movie feels a tad overlong at times, but never bores. End quote. It does jump around a little bit. Like, if you're watching this for the first or second time even, like, you can be like, where are we? What are we doing? Yeah. As much as Christopher Nolan was like, we didn't cut anything else after we filmed, kept everything in. It's like, it feels like you could have put a little bit more in there. It's <laughs> choppy at some places, you know? Yeah. Maybe it was his aggressive editing technique. Yeah. I could see how that could have affected it. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I don't know, maybe you could argue that that would add to the tone of this movie, that it would feel like jarring. Yeah. You could argue that. It's chaos. Like <laughs> It's chaos. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Anarchy. Yeah. 
But next they say, quote, The action in The Dark Knight is a big improvement upon the previous film, as fight scenes are far more cohesive and easy to follow. The major chase scene in the middle of the film is brilliant, and although Hans Zimmer's score is as fantastic as you might expect, the decision not to use any sort of music during this point in the film is a genius one. Gotham City still fails to feel anywhere near as major a character in its own right as it should, but Batman thankfully doesn't look anywhere near as out of place as he occasionally did in Begins. Comparisons aside, The Dark Knight is filmmaking at its best and even managed to steal the summer of 2008 from Marvel's brilliant Iron Man, end quote. I forgot they came out the same year. That is really weird. That was the last quote from them. Sorry, I got hung up by... RDJ? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, sorry, I'm still thinking about him. <laughs> Every time I think about him, I think of the time he went to the uh, the stock exchange and was like, Oh my god. It's real, it's that place. <laughs> and he just goes off for like two minutes straight about... Corporate greed and money. Yeah, how disgusting everyone in there is. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that bit. Sorry, I'm looking at this. Most of this review is a comparison to Begins. It is. I don't really remember Begins that much, but like, I'm agreeing with it. I'm like, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which one do we hear get talked about more? Right. It is one of the greatest superhero comic book movies ever. I, I don't know if it can be matched or done better. Someone called it the Citizen Kane of superhero movies. And it might be. Like, not even in a joking way, it might be. I don't know. Megamind's kind of up there. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> up there. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine if I give this a little rating than Megamind. <laughs> I think you gave it like an eight I or gave something. It an eight. <laughs> yes, to do like pretty good. <laughs> but no, I do agree with that sentiment. Like besides Megamind, I can't really think of another great, great, great. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. I really do. I'm a I'm a big dork about those. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies too, but I don't think Marvel could make a movie like. I don't think they could either. I really don't. Their big guy right now is James Gunn. Like that's the one <laughs> making the money right now, and he's great for what he does. But I don't think he can make a Dark Knight. Yeah, they go a lot more towards like the the comedic route. If they're going to do something different, it's going to be a funny version of it. Yes, definitely. If they're going to go for highbrow. It's going to be funny highbrow. It's not going to be serious dark highbrow. Yeah, and heartwarming. They go for the they go for the heart. Yeah. So that was the last critic review. You ready to move on to the audience? Mm-hmm. Okay. So IMDb, this was just for the positive ones. It was filled with a lot of people who loved it, but like had nothing entertaining or intelligent to say about why. And so it wasn't worth putting a lot of those ones in there. Mm-hmm. But the first one I have is a 10 out of 10 from IMDb titled Morality versus Insanity from February of 2019. And they say, A lot of people would argue with me that the Joker was better portrayed by Jack Nicholson. What they fail to realize is exactly just how much Heath Ledger immersed himself in the studying of the Joker. He wanted to and did bring to the big screen a more accurate and canon version of the Joker. He, alongside Christian Bale, brought to the screen for both characters what everyone usually tends to forget overlook. Batman's morality which keeps him from murdering any of his nemesis. The insanity of the Joker and his lack of regard for himself or anyone around him. Chris Nolan kind of touched on the weird need that's in the storyline as well, but I'll leave that at that. I just get hung up when people argue about, no, Jack Nicholson's was better. How? Who's saying that? I just like, I don't get it. Arguably, anyone who watches Heath Ledger's performance could go, no, that's the best Joker. By far. You can like Jack Nicholson's. I feel like it's kind of a thing where a lot of the people who like the Heath Ledger one might not have seen the Jack Nicholson one. Mm. And a lot of people who like the Jack Nicholson one probably didn't watch the Heath Ledger one. True. And they're, yeah, they're like, no, Jack did it better. I've never seen it, but I know it's better. Mm -hmm. The the portrayals are very different. It's not, it's, you can't 
can't compare the two. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. You can compare Jack Nicholson's to Mark Hamill. Mm. Oh, more appropriate. Yeah. And even then, you can argue, yeah, Jack gave a great performance, Phil, but Mark Hamill is an amazing voice actor. So amazing. In himself. Not just Joker alone. Everything he does. Yeah, he's amazing. So Mark Hamill's got his own, his own thing going on, you know? Yeah. But the next review I have is a five-star review from 2017 on Letterboxd that says, I'm here to say that Heath Ledger and only Heath Ledger is the Joker, period. A good chunk of these are before the um, Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Okay. I'm kind of glad about that because I... I really don't want to talk about the new Joker. Yeah. But the next review, five-star review from 2018 on Letterboxd that says, My friend said Heath was okay in this, so who wants to sign a petition to send her to the North Pole? (laughs) I can't imagine thinking that he was just okay in this movie. Like, what would have shocked you? What would have brought amazing performance to you? What more could he have done? You need to, like, watch him in other things and then watch this to see how much work is being done by him in this. He's not just like that. Okay. He's not just like that. Like, I'm not an actor. I've never done acting. I'm, I can't act. But you should be able to recognize when someone, like, really does a good job. You know? Like, a genuine, they did a good job. Yeah. There are moments when I'm watching a movie and I'm like, okay, this person's portraying that character well. They're doing a good job. But there are characters like this where they are so immersed in the role that you don't see an actor. You're just seeing that character. Exactly. It's a noticeable difference. But also, I think having a love for film goes hand in hand with having a respect for good acting. Very true. But the next one is three and a half stars from 2021 on Letterboxd. I can't imagine being in Batman's position. Trying to pretend that the Joker isn't extremely attractive must be exhausting. (laughs) Okay, me though. Me about Batman. (laughs) He's just like in his car like, he's so sexy. (sighs) He's so hot. (laughs) Why does he have to be hot? (laughs) Hi, Joker. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Oh my God, he looked at me. (laughs) He's obsessed with me. He'll kill me. (laughs) I think he wants to marry me. (laughs) You're in love with me, are you? <laughs> it's like Lego Batman, though. <laughs> I hate you, Joker. Just kiss. Just kiss already. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this next one is from 2020 on Letterboxd. That's half a star. Little baby movies for babies. If this is your favorite movie, I got news for you. You are a baby. <laughs> oh, wait. Let me say that so you can understand. Goo goo gaga, you stupid idiot baby. <laughs> I love half stars. Half stars are the Joker's overviews. <laughs> in letterboxd chaos chaos Chaos. five stars 2018 on letterboxd bruce so let's put a couple tables together dan i'm not sure though that they'll let us bruce oh they should i own the place so that's what really burned one side of harvey's face (laughs) he's no kidding you know that enraged him because one he didn't want him to sit he didn't want to have dinner with him and then two was like oh i own the restaurant no wonder he turned evil (laughs) yeah it might be the reason why i hate bruce (laughs) he's an asshole and a playboy. He's a dick. Yeah. One star from 2018 on Letterboxd. Well-made Bush-era right-wing propaganda that has aged terribly. Seriously, go watch this again and see how awful Bale is as Batman. How the Harvey Dent subplot is crammed into the film's fourth act. And how boring the film is every time Heath Ledger isn't on screen. All right, the last bit, maybe. I don't I don't understand the right wing. They think just because we're shown the bad sides of Batman, of Bruce Wayne, we're like shown the, the that he is not the best person and that we're shown that Harvey Dent, who I guess you could say is like, he would be left wing. Yeah. It, he's like a corrupted politician mm. and it's like pro cup in some people's eyes, which I really don't think that this movie's trying to say anything like that, but some people take it that way. No. We're shown that Batman's a bad guy and the cops rightfully don't like him being around a lot of the time yeah 
because, I mean, he's a vigilante breaking the law. Yeah. They don't like him because he ma Batman makes them look bad. Yeah. Batman's out there doing their job. Yeah, which I think this person failed to realize. Yeah. And because Christopher Nolan didn't write this movie to be political, it's one of those things you, you can go back and forth and argue about interpretations. Yeah. Again, I don't think this movie is really, in my opinion, trying to tell, show you who the good guy is. Nobody is good in this. I, and that's the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I guess like towards the end with Commissioner Gordon, or not towards the end, the middle maybe, mm -hmm. right before the interrogation scene and he becomes commissioner and he's like putting his son to bed or whatever. And he's like, has like a sweet moment. It feels like the cop characters are the only ones that are shown like sweetness or empathy from the perspective of the movie. It's like they're having their friends killed because of the Joker. This chaos is ensuing because Batman has beef with the Joker and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that this movie is trying to say anything about that. It's a superhero movie. They're all pro-government, pro-corporate. You're looking pro way into, you're, you're skipping a lot of things to try to make your point. Like you're ignoring a lot of other things to have this point you know yeah it, it seems like you can make this take online mm -hmm. but it's clear you can't cite specific examples of your point like they're saying it's all this where when because the way their sentence is set up it's like like go watch it again and then they just talk about how they didn't like Bale as Batman. The writing for the Harvey subplot's bad, and they liked Heath Ledger, and they wanted more. Is none of the points they were making previous. So it's like, where are you really? Are you really trying to say something? Or are you just saying words? In my opinion, the way I read it, and maybe this isn't a great thing either. Maybe this is kind of not the intended purpose of the movie. Like you're saying, it's not intended to be political, but it's like to me that feels anti-government, anti-establishment, because like even with or without Batman, with or without a good politician, corruption ensues, and it's gonna be there. It has nothing to do with how good or bad of a job that the cops or the government are doing. Well, and when you have a society set up for people to not succeed, like the rest of them, like Bruce Wayne, when you're not Bruce Wayne, like, and you're living in Gotham, when you have a corrupt city and... And people who are disenfranchised. Exactly. Like, it Why be part of the system that puts you down when you can fight it? Yeah. This next one's four and a half stars from 2018 on Letterboxd and says, I got really sick of hearing about this movie. It inspired a lot of bad trends. It has a ton of terrible friends and there's some stuff in there that doesn't work. But you know what? On a whole, it's exhilarating and riveting and contains like 800 great scenes. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I, I've felt at it at points because of like the film bro thing of it. Mm -hmm. Y'all need to shut the fuck up about it. Both can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of movies like that. I think a lot of the movies we liked as teenagers. It's like reclaiming American Psycho. We could do it with Batman, guys. We could do we it. We could do it. <laughs> Four and a half stars from 2022 on Letterboxd. Batman always talks like he has an uncomfortable retainer and why does no one talk about this? Always sounds like he's choking on retainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half stars from 2023 on Letterboxd. I get why they call him the Joker. Dude was kind of funny. Yeah, I get it. True. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> One star from 2021 on Letterboxd. Okay, but the contrast between how radically this film changed what the Joker character could be and how effectively this whole trilogy pulverized and any possibility that Bruce Wayne could be a character with iconographic depth is staggering. Heath Ledger's performance literally grants this film all of its color, its intrigue, and its humanity. It definitely did influence everything that came after it, for sure. Yeah, and I, you know, when you think about this movie, do you really think about Christian Bale as Batman in it? No, not at all. He's so overshadowed in this movie, which I think is fine. Yeah. 
I mean, how can you compete with Ledger, you know? Yeah. Two stars from 2019 on Letterboxd. This is still good and all, but I don't remember it having this many stupid lines, plot lines, drab characters, and somewhat baffling ending. Don't get too mad, y'all. Heath Ledger is as great as everyone says he is. I actually think they should have given him more screen time, but whatever. Screen time would have been nice. More screen time would have been nice. Yeah, I think they'd have to call it the Joker then. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. half a star from 2021 on letterboxd joker didn't even have damaged written on his head how am i supposed to know he's a bad guy (laughs) (laughs) oh another half star from 2020 on letterboxd this was playing on tv in the living room and i just saw batman bitch slap a dog off of a ledge in a partially constructed building like 50 stories up that dog is gone zero out of ten batman kills dogs (laughs) so funny Two stars from 2021 on Letterboxd. Not to sound like a Reddit user, but give me one reason why the Joker is a villain. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I love the beginning that says, not to sound like a Reddit user. That's funny. That's the funniest thing you start a sentence with. (laughs) His, like, MO, kind of. I'm like, I I get what you're saying. Like, it's not a great outlook to have on life. But it's realistic that everybody is able to be corrupted. Like, yeah, I mean, you could argue it's like nihilist and whatever. But you know, if he wasn't blowing up stuff and killing people, he'd be like a performance artist. So true. Two and a half stars from twenty twenty two on Letterboxd. Bruce and Harvey were boyfriends, and Rachel was a lesbian. <laughs> That's how we do it, girls. Yo, That's how we get this movie. Yeah, exactly. If we just push that hard enough, they'll they'll abandon this movie. It'll be ours. <laughs> Make it gay, girls and gays. Get in here. <laughs> Two and a half stars from 2020 on Letterboxd. So much themes. Just lousy with themes. Themes as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yep. Yes. Two and a half stars <laughs> from 2020 on Letterboxd. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a boomer. Mm, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Can't lie. Can't lie. <laughs> Three stars from 2018 on Letterboxd. It's good. It's no Suicide Squad. Oh, it's good. Lord. That's funny. I think they're joking. I know. I it's funny. I hope. I hope. It's no Suicide Squad, but it's good. You can say, imagine anyone saying that to any movie. I want this, oh my god, that'd be so funny if that was just, like, put on the most random movie. That's our new, like, fucking Citizen Kane. Yeah. It's no Suicide Squad. It's no Suicide Squad, but it's good. <laughs> this last one is a 10 out of 10, and it is titled, Makes You Crave for More and More. Hats off from July of 2008. It's been like nine to 10 weeks of movies dedicated to various superhero movies. A few were good, some were just too bad, but this one is a gem. After so many years, have I seen such a movie which would make you give a standing ovation to the movie? There are at least five scenes in the movie where anybody would just say, wow. Everything is just too good about this movie. Each and every person associated with this movie deserves praise. Needless to mention, Ledger and Bale perhaps give their best shot ever in this movie. I am just kind of scared whether they ever would be able to repeat something like this i have to admit though when i heard movies soundtrack standalone i was kind of disappointed that it was not that good as that of batman begins but now having seen the movie i am glad that i was wrong good lord it seems like a person who really likes movies though Mm -hmm. or at least christopher nolan i just love that they were like this movie all you can say is wow I mean, this movie, it's so good. (laughs) That's just every sentence. This movie is so great because it's this movie. (laughs) Because it's this movie. (laughs) But more importantly, what are you going to rate The Dark Knight? 8 out of 10. (laughs) I think it's an 8 out of 10. Same as Megamind? Same as Megamind. I think they're on the same playing field. (laughs) I think I'll also say an 8 out of 10. I think I set a 7 for Megamind. I think the rewatch value of this movie is really good. It is. I've never not enjoyed myself. Yeah. Anything else? I think I've said everything that I need to say. Yeah. Okay. 
So if you have any recommendations for us for future episodes, you can reach us on our Instagram at Easy Big Takes. We also have a TikTok at Easy Big Takes. We have our website, easybigtakespodcast.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd if you want. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen, leave a review if you can, and share us with a friend because it really helps us out a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Big Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye.